Hi, everyone. Welcome to the bonus episode of season five of our Just Admitted podcast, where former deans and directors of admission give expert insight into the college admissions landscape. I'm Eric, an Ivy Wise counselor and former admission officer at Columbia University and assistant director of admission at the New School. Joining me today is my friend and fellow Ivy Wise colleague, Tiffany, who is a former assistant director of admission at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. In this episode, we're going to share some insight into what deferrals mean and what steps deferred students should take next. All right, I think at the top, Tiffany, what's a deferral? You know, Eric, um, you just jumped right into it. I was I sure did. thinking about that uh, because this time of year, I think it becomes such a popular topic. Students are just floating all along and um, they may not even realize what a defer is until they get one. So right around now, um, around maybe starting at the end of November, December, even into January, admissions officers start to release their decisions, right? So if you've applied early action, perhaps you've applied uh, priority at some universities, maybe you've even applied um, rolling decision. There are many things that a university could actually do with your application. I think we're all familiar and hoping for that admit. Yay, congratulations, you are invited to join their community. Uh, I think we're also familiar with the deny, um, which could mean, oh, sorry, not right now, right? Like that's a that's <laughs> a no on your application. And then there's this wonderful thing called a defer. So here we are, it's that season, it's that time of year, end of November into early January, where defers happen. Has um, it been a year already? Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually perfectly timed, because if you think about it, many of us just as humans are thinking about this year, and we're thinking on to next year. And so that's kind of what a defer means, right? We, they've considered you in this year, in this pool, in this cycle, and they're looking on to the next cycle to perhaps regular decision or a next round of applications. And they're telling you, hey, we want to keep thinking about you. So officially, a defer is about that time or, or our university telling you that you have the chance to be reviewed again. Um, that you have a chance to be refer reviewed in their regular decision pool along with the applicants that are applying later into that um, usually January, February season. So officially, welcome to the language and the terminology of a defer. Yes. <laughs> um, I like to think of a defer as a delayed decision. Do you think that's a fair uh, assessment? I think so. I think it can be. Yeah. So in, you know, in my words and in my experience, I found that, you know, it's like a thank you so much. You're still in the mix, you know, academically, but we're going to want to see some new information if that surfaces between now and when we send out final decisions. So for students who have applied binding early decision, it extracts you from the early decision contract. So you get to play the field, which is kind of nice. And I just want to kind of underscore the fact that a defer is not a deny. That's something that I really try to impress upon my students because there can be this real sense of, oh, no, what does this mean if it was my first or top choice school, you know, am I going to be competitive? And the answer is, for the most part, yes, you know, you're in the mix academically, but they may want to see new information surfacing between the initial point of the application. One of those big things is first semester grades. So sometimes if you're on the cusp academically, 
and new academic information might make a difference, then that's something that they would welcome as they revisit your application, usually in March. Eric, you just mentioned something that I think is really important to underscore as well. You're right. So many times students think about anything other than a yes as being a no, and that's not the case, right? Um, sometimes uh, uh, a university may be able to offer defers and offer them widely, and then some universities don't offer defers. So then that answer is a deny. So it's one of those moments where we operate in kind of those shades of gray, where yes. we use the terminology defer, but remember it's really, really, really university specific. I love to use Georgetown as an example, right? Let's go. Good old-fashioned <laughs> like old Georgetown, right? When you apply early action to Georgetown, they have some restrictions as to uh, when you can apply or if you can apply to Georgetown in early action. They prefer that you not be in an, anyone's early decision pool, right? But their options for you as an applicant when you apply early action to Georgetown would be either you're admitted, woohoo, or you're deferred. Deny is not necessarily on the table for most applicants. A number of applicants, the majority of applicants get deferred, right? Whereas in their other universities that kind of have like a thumbs up, thumbs down policy, although they may really want to see your next semester grades or collect new information, their policy, their overarching philosophy approach to admissions may not allow you to do that, may not allow them to do that. Uh, so for example, Stanford's one of them that has kind of a thumbs up, thumbs down policy. Vanderbilt, Vandy um, is yep. another that has like yep. a thumbs up, thumbs down policy. Um, so in those cases, even though you were super close by the skin of your chinny chin chin, um, don't look out for defers from these two universities and for other universities. So the philosophy of a defer um, doesn't always exist by all universities. Um, so that's something also to keep in mind when we talk about like a defer not being a deny. Sometimes absolutely wasn't even an option. Yeah, no, and I appreciate that distinction. You know, it's we say so much in this profession, it depends, and I regret that. I love a school that does an up or down decision. So I think I always use my dating analogy or often rely on it. You know, Stanford and Vanderbilt, they don't care if you, you know, get all A's in first semester. They don't care if you take the SAT again and get a 1600. They're just not that into you. So it's best to pull that Band-Aid off dust yourself off, have your little come to Jesus moment and reframe and then move on. So it can sting. Absolutely. A deny really does sting. But I think that it does a service to the students to allow them to move on and explore their other options. You know, Georgetown, they're leading you on, you know, and I think that that can be really harmful in a lot of ways because you don't know if this is a real defer where you're still going to be you know, viable academically and potentially translate into an admit. So it really is, you know, some murky footing that you'll find yourself in. Another thing I was thinking about with the defer is a lot of students get really fearful when they might get a wave of defers from larger public schools that have early action pro programs, um, you know, like a Michigan, Wisconsin, Indiana, you know, that are going to defer students. And then they feel like, oh, my goodness, if I get deferred from, you know, a, a lesser selective school, am I still going to be competitive at my top more selective colleges? And the answer is yes. Um, so I think the defer can just put students in kind of a weird purgatory. 
and I I regret that, but you know, the colleges are always doing what works to their advantage, what's not always in the student's best interest. So Eric, I'm hearing you answer the question about that we often get from students, I think, which is like, what does this mean? Right? Yes. What does this mean <laughs> about my chances in life in all of my applications? I got deferred from one school. Please tell me what does this mean about my entire process? Especially yes. <laughs> if Eric, like I got deferred from my likely school or target, a school that wasn't even necessarily my first choice. Have yep. you faced those situations? I, I definitely feel as though I've had those questions from students, from um, clients that I'm working with. Uh, so tell me how you answer that question. Um, I would just say that I, I like to tell students that do not take first decisions as an indication of what will happen in future decisions. So that's, but that can be really difficult to um, digest, you know, and to encounter for students because it can be very demoralizing. Like I said, if your first decision and or first few decisions are anything but a yes. So like I said, I may, and the ordering of decisions also matters and that's impossible to predict. So you may get your first three decisions as defers and then get a yes from one of your likely schools. And so that I think, again, can be a little bit disorienting for students. And then there's going to be a proportion of students, regrettably, who are going to go into the December holidays not having a yes in their back pocket. And I think that can be really troubling. But I've been doing this for 13 years in schools and with IVYs, and I have yet to have a student shut out. Um, so just know that you are going to find a home, you are going to find a place um, and you're going to go to the quote unquote air quotes, good school. Right. But I would just say again, to, to distill it down, it's just a, you know, don't take these early decisions as an indication of how it's all going to shake out in regular, which I know feels like a big leap of faith. For sure. I know that much later in our conversation, we're going to talk a little bit more about what you should do next. Like, what are the rules, right? Yes. Uh, of, like, what happens now? But I just, you know, you really highlighted the student perspective really, really nicely. I just want to take it back for a second and kind of rely on our experiences, not as counselors, but like as former admissions officers for just yes. two seconds and kind Let's of just remind you <laughs> and remind students of like, why me? Like, why did I defer a student as an admissions officer. And, you know, many of our decisions um, uh, have nothing to do personally on the personal level with the student themselves, right? A lot of times it's operational. It's on a larger perspective. For example, um, uh, as a admissions office shapes a class, they're very strategic about the class that they're shaping in early, right? Um, with an eye out for the application that they're going to receive in regular and regular decisions. So I think you've already touched on it. I tend to defer a student that is showing some great potential. Maybe ninth grade wasn't so much for you and you've been on nothing but a fantastic up um, academic climb. Yeah. I want to see you have one more semester to show me that you've got this, that those grades um, that you're accumulating right now, those midterms and things of that nature, I can't wait for an update. It's almost just like a insurance policy, a touch base saying, hey, no, 
I really am on this great rise and I will continue to do that at your university that, um, in the future. So that's one of the reasons that I defer to student. Another reason that I probably defer to student would be that, you know, sometimes in early, I have some very strategic goals to meet. Um, and we talk about them. We don't talk about them. Sometimes we we refer to them as hooks, but um, they might be institutional priorities that I need to meet. They might be um, athletic teams that I that I need to to, to support. You know those NCAA. Um, Signing days happen to correlate with um, early action, you early guessed action it. announcements and things of that nature. So um, those are kind of like public agreements that have already been decided upon. Um, there might be some students that um, are were admitted early for, for example, uh, scholarships and scholarship considerations. Um, not only are they going to be admitted, but they're going to advance to another round of specialty uh, committees in the admissions process. Um, so there are many um, uh, priorities that I need to address in early and, and address those priorities first before I move on to filling it in the class with great students overall that might not address those specific hooks or university priorities. Absolutely. That's a great point to notice that the institutional priorities, which can be maddening for students because it's totally out of your control. And it shows that in the early round, many times they are looking for not necessarily to, to build the well-rounded class and not necessarily the well-rounded student. But don't forget all of the students who are getting deferred or denied in those early rounds they're flooding the application pools for regular decision. And that I only say that not to scare students, but to let you know that, you know, there's so many highly qualified applicants that that we're making such fine distinctions and it can be really, really unpredictable. Um, so to just hang on and be confident in your own ability. And as Tiffany said, with the upward trend, you know, going back to the dating analogy, it's like, we got to see the glow up. We need to see the full glow up before we make a final decision. Um, and I think, you know, what else, you know, should we address now? I think besides the institutional priorities, um, are we looking at, let's get I, to that, what to do next, unless you have more to add there? Well, I just one more thought about the pool in general, right? Um, and there's some just really interesting statistics that are out there in some places, in some pools, it tends to be early action, early decision tends to be their most competitive pool. Can we talk about that for a second? Right. Absolutely. So, and how much so, of the class and how much of the class they're filling through that exactly, early policy. Right. Exactly. Northwestern 50%, Duke 50%. I mean, they're filling a really large proportion of their class in ED. For sure. So um, so early decision, early action, the fact that you've even submitted your application, you've gotten your stuff together early enough to submit an early application, they tend to be stronger students in the in the admissions pool. So it, I think that students get fearful in the sense of, oh my gosh, I wasn't admitted in early. What could possibly be my chances in regular decision? Mm. And I like to say that for some schools, for some institutions, regular decision um, is the pool isn't as strong, right? Isn't as competitive for fewer seats and, and in other universities it is. So it's hard to generalize, but I'd say be, be specific to data and statistics that are out there. So for example, last year, 
MIT, I think made a number of headlines because they deferred 65% of their applicants that came into their early action pool. It's a crazy number um, at 65%, right? Um, and that number is because that's an admissions officer saying, wait a minute, we need more time to review all of the nuances um, and the attributes that you worked so hard to convey to us. So 65%, it is a big deal. It is a big number. Um, uh, however, I think that that's just a nod of an admissions team wanting to uh, spend more time to understand who you are. So it goes back to why I, as an admissions officer, would have deferred you. I also think that it kind of leads nicely to... Um, it being a yes or no or anything of that nature um, mm -hmm. when you ask the question of um, of is what does this mean? Does this mean that I'm never going to get into any of my schools and things of that nature? It, it, it can really, really vary. So like a school like Wellesley last year, um, they deferred about 33% of their applicants, but their admit rate for the students that they deferred was just as strong as everyone else, as their overall admit rate, right? So the fact that they're reviewing you again is not to your disadvantage. <laughs> it's actually you in many pools are just as competitive and just as able to, um, to be admitted as anyone else coming and joining the conversation. So I just wanna just speak to anyone who might be feeling um, frustrated, lost, uh, confused, or just you know discouraged. I, I still think that you can shoot your shot and we want to make sure that you know that. I really appreciate that optimism because I do think, again, you know, that this experience can be at every turn, you know, discouraging to borrow your word. So I appreciate that. And, you know, you have to believe colleges when they're saying some of these things, you know, Georgetown and Stanford both admit that there's really no advantage or the admit rate is roughly the same, um, even though it hovers around zero, I think. Um, so <laughs> again, just remember that all of these amazing applicants that are highly qualified and doing great things, they're all landing somewhere. And then you'll notice that there are other colleges that publish admit rates and that they can really plummet in regular decision because they're flooded with all of those highly qualified students who were knocked, you know, from the Ivy, Stanford, and MIT. They end up in a lot of the same pools. Uh, some of those perennial favorites like Northwestern, Duke, Vanderbilt, WashU, Rice. Um, and so it, it gets gnarly, you know, to be honest. Um, but I think it's just important to know that, like I said, you are going to land on your feet somewhere. And there's a little bit of a sense of urgency right now about what can I do, you know, we're at be the beginning of December. Most decisions are coming out in the next couple of weeks. And so in the event that I get deferred, right, I'm putting myself in the student's shoes. Tiffany, what do I do? Okay. First, my <laughs> first thought is this, like, right? My first thought is feel your feelings. Right. Mm. And I'm gonna oh, you're such a good that. counselor. You're such I a good am. counselor. I'm a counselor at heart first. Um, you know, I've definitely been in high school. I personally was deferred um from my first choice, to be honest. Um, I have no love lost against, against Emory, but they totally deferred me, which is cool. Mm. Uh, um, but nonetheless, I will say feel your feelings, take a deep breath, reassess your plan. Right? Um, are you willing to hang out? <laughs> and to, is this still your first choice school, especially if you applied early decision? Because mm -hmm. as Eric, you mentioned, you're released from that early decision uh, policy or, or restriction or, or promise, 
right? Um, so is this still your first choice? Where does the school fit into your long-term strategy of the schools that you want to, to, to attend or university that you want to join? Um, for some families, that might mean that you should plan a visit to reassess, to, to, to see it again. Not a visit in the terms of I'm going to meet the admissions officer so they personally know that I am so invested in this school. Um, and it might not even be a visit to this particular university. It might be a visit to a, 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 a close second choice or a mm -hmm. third choice. Mm -hmm. um, and when I say reassess your plan is because there's this good old fashioned option called early decision two, um, which is likely due in January. And you want to make sure that um, it, it, you want to assess if you are willing to consider another school as your second first choice in an early decision uh, policy or not. Um, so I, my very first thing that I think that students should do is kind of like feel your feelings, right? And then assess your feelings, assess your list. What do you think, Eric? Have you guided uh, students through kind of reassessing their list or developing their plan? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I jokingly call it, you know, not to be dismissive or anything like our come to Jesus moment, right? If a student gets deferred, if they get denied in early, um, we have that moment in December. And it's really just an opportunity to reframe, uh, you said reassess, which is perfect. Um, and then if there is a strategic element moving forward, um, an early decision to while infrequently employed by my students is something that's a consideration that maybe we also would have explored earlier on in the process when we were doing the what if. And I think early decision two is really reserved for a student who's still willing to make that binding commitment to another school. And it is a little bit of a risk, right? Because you're now not going to know where you stand when the dust settles with your original top choice school. Um, it's something that I've navigated with students, you know, many times. And I think um, it's an opportunity for you to still be in a competitive pool where the admit rate many times is still higher, but that could be an artificial number as well. And I'd be skeptical if they're published uh, statistics only insofar as that the pool is much smaller at these schools with early decision two, and they're pulling in a smaller proportion of their students uh, from what I know and understand. But again, if you've been rejected or deferred, you know, again, these are all things that you really have to just kind of like reconsider. And ideally, when I've built a list with a student and co-created that, they're still enjoy, you know, going to like every college on the list and be willing ideally to attend every college on the list. So I would say a minority of my students will per pursue ED2, um, but it's still something that, you know, we would have a conversation about. And if there needs to be a heavy reframe, you know, I work at a Jewish high school. So if we really need to have a come to Moses moment, then, you know, there might, this might be the opportunity where it's been like, okay, you weren't hearing it from me. You weren't hearing it from other sources, you know, where we were telling you this is a, a far reach that was unlikely to translate into it and admit. Um, so now we really need to reassess your list to see if, it's too top heavy in terms of selectivity because you really needed to hear it from the college in order to be able to process it. 
Eric, you know, one of the points that you're bringing up, um, we both have that perspective of working as um, uh, in-school college counselors, both at private schools, um, but then also working as IBYs counselors as well. And that conversation, right, is so important and is so timely. So maybe you're a student listening to us um, and you're just about a week before school is about to wrap up for winter break or um, a holiday break or for the year, it's really important to have that, that conversation about your list should you need additional support. Many of these regular decision applications, should you want to submit brand new applications, are due in um, are due in January when school might be out. So if you need that support from your counselor, I highly, highly encourage you to get that support as soon as possible before the school year wraps up for, for this year. So hopefully you've had the conversation already with your counselor, um, but allow your counselor some time to support you or to be clear on what kind of support you'll need between now and January should you submit completely new applications, right? But going back to this one, um, uh, the school that you've been deferred um, from, uh, Eric, any talking points about um, what you should what you should specifically do with this school or how to interact with this university? Oh my gosh, I'm so glad in preparation for this, uh, we did some note taking and I have bullets right in front of me um, already and prepared and polished. But the biggest thing that we've seen is there's this newer phenomenon of, uh, you may hear it called a letter of continued interest. You might hear it called a defer letter. I think, you know, it should be something that is uh, fairly straightforward. You know, there's, it's, it's this re-demonstration of interest. They already know that this college is your first choice. So I think that that's something that you have cemented already by pursuing early decision, which is great. And which actually does affect the regular decision review, because they will know that this school was your original top choice college. But, um, students, have often elected now to send in this letter of continued interest, which will highlight some of the information, or at least I consider my students um, and encourage them to only include information that has surfaced since the point of application. So if they started a club or an activity or a research project or anything that was relevant when you generated your activities list back in August, and those things have now grown and been built on and have evolved, that's information that I think might be relevant to include in this letter. Um, it doesn't need to be exhaustive. Again, it doesn't need to be a re-enumeration of what you provided in your common application for the first review. But if there's any relevant new information that you may want these admissions officers to see when they revisit your application in the spring, then I encourage you to put that in. Um, and it again, it does not need to be extensive. It does not need to be exhaustive, at least in my view, because they are, you know, the admission officers are swamped with now their regular decision review. Um, and more is not more, right? That's what I tell my students. More is not more, more is not better. But, you know, it's a nice uh, gesture, I think, to supply some information that may be relevant for when they revisit your application in March. Eric, I couldn't agree with you more. And in this, if I could just offer any very pointed advice, know the university, 
follow their guidelines. Yes. If one letter of demonstrated interest or continued interest is not going to work for each and every single university in which you've been deferred, right? So the kind of information that they're willing to accept is going to change dramatically from uh, between each university. So for example, many universities have portals and they just want simple places to upgrade a portal or a, upgrade um, any information via your portal. Some universities are willing to accept a new letter of recommendation. In fact, it's the first time they're willing to review a letter of recommendation. Um, other universities are going to um, just limit you to a number of words. For example, MIT um, has what they call the February Updates and Notes form. It's called the fun form for, for, for a reason. They're tongue in cheek, <laughs> right? That form limits you to 200 words. So what has happened to you between November and January or mid-February, honestly, when you're um, submitting this form, it's 200 words. That's it. Um, the form, in truth, used to ask students to tell us a joke. And I'm telling you, as an admissions officer that's been reading application after application after application, I lived for the joke that was on the fun form. Um, it, 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 it brightened my day. It made the, the, the applicant really, really memorable um, to me. I, at least they were funny and willing to put themselves out there and follow directions. Right? Yes. So, so follow following directions. directions but put, yeah. And put yourself out there a little bit, right? It doesn't have to all be so serious. I love that an institution like MIT would not take itself so seriously so as to ask for something like that. Um, I think it's fun, you know, and if you're not funny, then don't try to be funny and just do your thing, you know, and be the nerd that you are and let that be who you are. It's so sad, our incentive structures in February and March, we were really going through it with those applications. <laughs> A joke from a 17 year old was brightening our day uh, while I, you know, had my seasonal affectation disorder. Um, <laughs> is um, there more information on that score? I'm sorry, I cut you off a bit. No, I just wanted to say, just, just be, make sure that you're be keeping in mind what the university is specifically asking you to do, right? Um, anything over can be seen as overzealous and, mm -hmm. and, um, and, um, not being willing to follow the guidelines that they have put in place to make sure that they can effectively evaluate your application. So, we would just say, pay attention, right? Pay attention. Yes, don't be thirsty. It's not a good look. So for example, just another very important distinctive, um, you might have to take an action step to be considered in regular decision. There are mm. some schools that um, um, require you to indicate that you would like to be considered in their regular decision pool. They've deferred you, but you might not automatically be rolled over into regular decision. So paying a lot of attention to their portals, to their, to their guidelines, to their steps um, is going to be really, really key. And just remain positive, right? You're only sometimes only halfway through your admissions process. And I remember that it's a process. It's not over. I think if anything that you um, should take away from this, right, is um, a defer is not a deny. Pay attention and keep going. Is Absolutely. There I mean, if we're restricting it to defer, I just want to say keep up your grades. You know, that has a twofold um, 
importance in my view. And I was just in front of the room of my class of 2023 students um, right before this um, started and saying, you know, it's important that you still show respect to your teachers by continuing to work hard in your classes. Those first semester grades, if you're deferred, are now coming into play um, as you know they reevaluate you in the spring. And also just be kind to one another. You know, I think it's really important to note that some students safety school is another student's dream school. So there really should be an atmosphere of support um, wherever you are. And that's just me like kind of on my little soapbox. I think that you have a lot of control over the culture of how this all goes down. And to the seniors out there who are listening, you are the leaders in your school and the underclassmen are looking to you. And so I think exerting some positive example and positive leadership is something that could be really important this time of year. I agree with you. Um, uh, as a counselor, how students respond to the news that they didn't want to hear really stands out to me and stood out to me, right? Um, my, if there's an opportunity to further advocate for a student, I might mention that to a university, how graceful, how reflective that student received such news. Um, so that community of support is really important to each other, um, to your peers, but also to yourself, right? How you take this news of being deferred or any university news, um, others are watching, they're, they're being influenced by how you receive and how you process. So just be mindful of that. But I think that just about wraps up this episode, the bonus episode of Just Admit It. Um, if you got deferred and want personal guidance on how to optimize your admissions outcomes, contact Ivy Wise today. Um, in, me in the meantime, please feel free to catch up on all of our previous podcast episodes by visiting our Just Admit It page. And be sure to bookmark our knowledge base for additional help um, with navigating the complex and competitive admissions process. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok for more resources on, on the higher ed landscape. And we just want to say thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining us on this episode. Thank you, Tiffany.